Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ep 14 of Off the Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you all for joining us today, wherever you're listening. I'm your host, as always, Robbie Cox. Now, fantastic show lined up for your ears today with TSS Butterflyer, who has won a medal at the Com Games and Olympics. I'm talking about Mr. David Morgan. Spoke to David a few weeks ago about his very interesting life so far with where he was born, having an Olympian for a mum, his own rise to the top in swimming, big competition experiences, his coach, life outside of swimming, and where he sees himself in the future. So fix your headphones, make sure the volume in your car is up, and get ready to be enthralled as Ep 14 with David Morgan starts now. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. From the sinister of all eyes is the great Phantom Butterfly, Susie O'Neill. Oh, he's coming back. Oh, he surely can't do it to him again. Chavish in the white hats, Dots in the black hats, and Dots has got it. I cannot believe he's done that. Dots in front, Dots in the hall, Dots goes in. Joining us today on the show is an Olympian who has been a part of the Australian team now for the past five years. Training out of the TSS club on the Gold Coast, he has competed on the biggest international stages with World Champs, Com Games, and as I mentioned, the Rio Olympics in 2016, where he picked up a bronze medal for his part in the 4x100-meter individual medley relay team. It is a very big welcome to Off the Block Swing podcast to David Morgan. How are you going, mate? Hello, good, thank you. I'm happy to be a part of your podcast. It's a, definitely a good, fun time. <laughs> Mate, we are very happy to have you on for a chat. Now, for all the listeners out there, I'm coming to you today from the studios down in Sydney. It's a bit of a windy old day out there, but the sun's out. So, you know, we can when we go out for that uh, one walk we're allowed to do, it's not too bad. It's quite pleasant. Where have we caught you today? Uh, you caught me on the nice, well, if I look outside, cloudy, but usually sunny Gold Coast um, oh, Gold in Coast. Uh, Queensland. I've got to stop yeah. interviewing people from the Gold Coast. It always makes me jealous and makes me miss Queensland. Yeah, I think it is a very uh, lucky state, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, what have you been up to today so far? Uh, really, uh, it's just, you know, this morning with, you know, with the whatever's going on in the, whole, in the world at the minute, it's just really just keeping as busy as I can, but following the restrictions that we are in uh, but i mean i i've been doing some gym and uh, went for a swim down at the beach uh you know just really spend most of the time at home just keeping busy and doing all the stuff that i wanted to do at home that i haven't been able to because of training really so yeah mate what's a swim like at the beach for you what does it look like what do you do you just paddle out paddle back catch a couple of waves in what do you what do you do yeah i mean i usually will swim for about oh Work, give or take working it out probably about 3k uh sometimes four so uh, just just to keep the arms going over i mean at this point in time in the uh the year because olympics now has been postponed for another year um it's really you don't have to go too crazy uh with um with training because mm. it because there is still now a year to go so everything sort of resets uh but you've got to maintain a bit of uh fitness and keep the arms going over and just keep the rain the movement going and uh yeah i mean there is this uh, aspect that you want to be going hardcore now because of what's happening but cool. it's also it's also making sure that you 
settle into a routine because you know it's not just uh it's not just like the athletes trying to think about training it's also the mental aspect of it you know there's a lot of um things that are completely different to what we're used to in in the world and as humans so it's it's something just trying to keep it nice and steady and then when you get into a routine then you just go uh, go along with it Mate, so many of our junior athletes and coaches listen to this podcast. Give us a little insight into what you do in your home dryland program. What does it look like? In the home, so I was lucky enough to, um, <laughs> I have a big enough balcony because I live in an apartment complex. So it's a, well, like a, a high rise sort of uh, yeah. apartment. But we're lucky if I have a big enough balcony that I was able to uh, sort of build my own gym. <laughs> Nice. that makes sense so you know i went to oh you know facebook marketplace was incredible mm-hmm. and was able to just scourge there in two days i managed to build you know a squat rack and chill up bar with barbells and weight plates and and all that sort of stuff all the stuff that i would i felt like i needed yeah. for to last me for however long i needed to be in this however long this lasts and yeah. um and you know in my head i planned for the longest time and hope it comes quicker so it, it's you just gotta take each yeah you're just gonna take each uh day as it comes and then see what happens with uh but hopefully <laughs> if fingers crossed everything sort of comes back to some sort of normality sooner but it's always a an unknown an unknown at the minute so how often you train at the moment you're still just sort of doing what a session a day two sessions a day a bit of core work a bit of weights yeah so i usually break it up i yeah, this week and what I'll keep on doing now is breaking up uh, day by day. So Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday I'll do gym, some more lifting stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tuesday and Thursday I'll do more core and a bit of a uh, spin on the bike. Yeah, and then for about three times a week I'll go for swim at the beach. Um, it would probably be on the Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday or Sunday. So it's it is I've, I have organised it in a way that I feel like is. Uh, manageable to be able to hold now for however many months yeah it still sounds like you're pretty busy yes yeah, so, yeah i keep myself busy i think i think it's important <laughs> hey, what about you and your coach and, and your team how have you been staying connected yeah oh i mean we've we've I, you know, i've been talking to chris my coach now for uh, every second day really and we have our whatsapp group chat and um we keep that you know all our stuff keeps going through there and uh you know our club has set up this um it's called the isolation games mm-hmm. and uh on those uh on that games we we send in our typical like our typical activities day by day and uh and so and then liam one of our other coaches makes it into a video and we see what everyone else is doing around uh australia so it's it is uh it's pretty funny it makes it makes you a, bit, a little bit still connected even though you're yeah. you're not in connected with someone do you get competitive with it do you, do you try and outdo each other Oh yes, <laughs> definitely. I think I think uh, Chris, like he, he's, I think he swam something like thirty nine k in the beach, <laughs> in for, or ran or he, he did some. He, he's doing a lot of exercise, but that's Chris. You know, he, he's a very fit person and and uh, and also a very competitive person. So when you try and challenge him or something, he'll beat you. <laughs> Mate, a lot of us are stuck in the house at the moment with our loved ones and, you know, it's presenting its own challenges for me as well. In, in my house, I told you just before how many people I live with. Um, yeah. Is there any a team member from maybe the Australian team or the TSS club that you wouldn't want to get stuck in isolation with? Is there anyone that you just think, oh, if I got stuck in a house with that guy or that girl, <laughs> I'd go nuts? <laughs> 
tell you what, though, I really think it would probably end up being myself. Because <laughs> <laughs> I can guarantee you, whoever listened to this, they would not want to be stuck in the same place as me. <laughs> but, um, I mean, uh, like usual teams and stuff on all competitions, I've been with Cameron McAvoy. Yeah. And, um, you know, we get along very well. And uh, and I think, you know, he would probably say that um, I annoy him in some sort of way, <laughs> which I do, of course, because I, <laughs> you know, I never, never intentionally, but I always have a... Uh, I always make it everything lighthearted and and I think that's what you got to do in you know situations like this you just make it a bit make the make it more fun and try and find ways to keep um, it positive absolutely now mate in doing my research about you I stumbled upon a couple of very interesting facts and number one uh, you were actually born over in Wales and everyone can probably pick that up from your accent already <laughs> uh, and number two that your mum Amanda was an Olympian in her own right and she competed at the uh, Montreal Olympics for Great Britain in the 100 backstroke so let's just unpack this for a second firstly okay firstly how long were you guys over in Wales for before you uh, made the trek to Australia and, and what prompted the massive move yeah so um I was born in 1994 and then um, we moved over in 2004 August 19th and uh, I can tell you it was the 7 a.m as well <laughs> <laughs> so um, and it was it was it was probably because my, my dad's work um, he managed you know my mum and dad always wanted to move out into Australia I think in the 80s and um, it just it never went around then but it gets gets to the point where um, when to move move to emigrate to Australia you get to a certain age uh, that you have to, that they won't allow you. And it was coming to the age of my mum and dad that they decided we have to do this. So um, funny enough, not too long ago, I was going through the um, the information, like our documents that we had online. And I stumbled across an email, that, like a letter, PDF email my dad had sent. And it was in 2001 was when we decided, well, when my mum and dad decided to take the first steps to asking for uh us if we we're able to move over in it so it took us uh, three years to uh, mm. to actually move and um but it was the best decision we, we have ever made uh it was five of us that moved over me my mom and my dad and me and my two sisters and uh you know we 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 love it it's yeah. incredible i think i think it's you know australia is a very 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 lucky country and um, i think I've enjoyed, uh, people always said, you know, would you wish to go on holiday somewhere? And uh, I said, well, I've been on holiday now for 15 years, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. that makes sense. So it's, you know, it's in comparison really to any other country in the world that, you know, where I live now is I'm truly grateful for it. Mate, secondly, though, how cool is it having a mum that's been to the Olympics and how much of a motivation was that for you to, to get yourself there and emulate mum? Well, it, I mean, it, yes, I mean, my mum's achievements have been massive. I think it, it, it's great to have someone, you know, in a, another Olympian in the family. And um, but funny enough, I didn't actually know. Uh, she never, My mum never told me that she went to Olympics until I was a lot older. Humble. Until I think, I think I was about 12 when I found out from someone else. <laughs> it wasn't from her, it was from someone else. I think it yeah. might have been one of her friends. And um, But she never wanted me to actually... To, to start swimming she yeah. didn't want me to be a swimmer because she knew what it'd be like and uh it got to a certain age i think it was um about five or six that uh, i said to her that you know i want to to learn the stroke where i bring both my arms over uh, over the water and <laughs> that was actually butterfly <laughs> yeah. and uh, so she could see that you know I, I i had this urge to 
swim, but she still didn't really want me to take it up competitively or anything like that. So a number of years went by and, um, and then she sat me down and in this complex that we used to go to, there was a, I, my sisters both did karate and, uh, and there was also a swimming pool there. And my mum even bought me a karate outfit and, uh, all that, you know, she wanted me to follow my sisters, what they were doing. And, um, and I didn't like wearing it. And, uh, I think I did one class mm-hmm. and, uh, and she's and I said I want to swim, and she said, "Well, if you swim, uh, I'm not going to force you, but if you don't, if you have to do it 100% correct because uh, there's no point doing it." And I said, "Well, I want to swim." <laughs> so, and really, that's the rest of this history, really, because <laughs> uh, I chose, you know, I chose to do it, and um, and I and I've and I've loved it ever since. What did you enjoy most about swimming when you were younger? You say that you were defiant, you know, you wanted to swim. What what really drew you to it? I think it's it's very hard. Like I feel like I was born to swim yep. uh, in a way because you know I had no other influences that 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 I watched when I was younger at that sort of young age that um, that made me choose swimming. If that makes sense. So like yeah. we used to we used to go to the pool and like and just play and stuff like that and um, and but I never had, uh, no one else sort of put it in me to actually start swimming. I think it was just something I just naturally went to, uh, which is very weird in a way, because uh, you know, even my mum finds it weird why I decided to swim. Yeah. And um, because there was no other influence apart from myself. Uh, and, uh, you know, when we used to go to parties and I used to always just say, I got to do my training first and try and make that 125 meter butterfly. Mm. And I just kept progressing from that. And uh, so it, it was very much, I, th- I think it was just born to do it. <laughs> hey, were you a natural? I mean, you know, when you were starting out, did those two arms just easily come over at the same time uh, <laughs> for you? Or was it something that you had to work a bit harder for? Um, I, I, you know, for my whole, like, of course, I, I have some natural ability to swim. Mm. <laughs> um, but... You know, even when I was an age grouper, you know, nothing, nothing ever came easy. Uh, it was, I purely had to work hard for this. And, um, and, you know, I was through it like age group swimming, uh, you know, I was trying as hard as I could, but still wasn't getting to where I wanted to. And I was just keep trying, but I just knew that um, eventually the harder you work and the more persistent you are and you keep trying to go through it, it will, um, it will pay off in the end. And, uh, and that's what, I feel like I'm doing right now. <laughs> Mate, do you have any heroes growing up? Um, it doesn't have to be with swimming. It could be from other sports, but did you have anyone that you, you looked up to? Yeah, I mean, from, from swimming, it's always been Ian Thorpe. Yep. Uh, he, he is my he's my idol. I used to have a picture of him on my wall that, you know, that I used to to just dream of because he was you know, he was an incredible swimmer mm. and, uh, and he's done a lot for the sport as well. And, I mean, other than swimming, the other person I really do uh, look up to, and I think is an incredible athlete, is Anna Mears. Yeah. You know, she she's done. She is also incredible in her the sport that she does, and and just I think I do like watching track cycling. I love watching the Tour de France and all that sort of stuff. And when they do the velodrome and mm. the sprinting, it's just that it's such an in, intense tactical sport. And I think it's it's something really interesting to. And I think she is definitely uh, the pinnacle of that sport. 
Man, I've got to give it to him as well. Just sitting on that seat for that long. My backside <laughs> gets sore just sitting on it for two seconds. And I think it's also because they, you know, there's not many seats big enough for my backside. So, um, <laughs> mate, at what age did swimming start to get a little bit more competitive for you? Um, I mainly started getting, say, more competitive when I was uh, about 12 years old because then I started to, say, competing more. Mm. Um it, it was it was still very progressed you know i didn't i wasn't going crazy training hours or uh, anything like that but um you know i kind of progressed it a lot, a lot quite slowly so i really just kept it more fun and yeah. uh and really uh, it, through my whole age nationals career like i went from i think i started age nationals when i was six, fifteen, sixteen, 15 16 and um and you know, I, I didn't make really any finals or anything like that and came to my last age nationals when I was 18. Um, I was, that was the time when I actually started getting very competitive and I won say the hundred butterfly and, uh, and got silver in the tuna fly and qualified for junior pan pack. So it was, that was probably when I was 18, it was the age that I started getting up there. And then really then once you finish age nationals is then open nationals and that's when it's a whole different level and that's where you really do have to step up everything because everyone is gets there's no age bracket now it's mm. just everyone against everyone <laughs> Mate, as a young swimmer coming through the squads uh, kids tend to have some bad habits and we like to go through it here on the show and just check with you guys uh, the elite athletes now if you guys had any of these bad habits when you were uh, coming through. So I'm going to just throw out a few of them to you. And I know you've heard the this, this show before, so you have been ready <laughs> yeah. for this. Um, <laughs> I try and change up the bad habits though, so we'll see if I can get you. But um, uh, yeah, I'll give you a few bad habits and you let me know whether you know you did any of these uh, when you were younger. So the first one is pulling on the lane rope in backstroke. No. No. Definitely not. Off, no. To, a, off to a good start. What about <laughs> feet on the bottom of the pool during laps? No, no. I think uh, like I, I can guarantee that I have never ever missed any single meters by turning around or uh, skipping meters or anything like that. I because uh, that is not something that uh, that gets you to the top. <laughs> Cut corners, you go in circles. Um, yeah. What about toilet breaks mid set just to have a rest? Never to have a rest. <laughs> oh, yeah. Never well, that, to. Well, that's what they say, think, David. That's what they say. No, yeah, but I, I think <laughs> you, you, when you need to go to the toilet, I, you go to the toilet. But um, I never do it to have a rest. <laughs> what about you, using, using arms in a kick set? No, definitely not. So when I was young, actually, the funny story when I was yeah. younger, um, I, I, my first coach that I had was sort of in South Australia, where I lived for a number of years, mm. um, and. He always he taught me that you know, there's only two ways of turning. It's one where you turn with the kick forte, you turn with your arms split apart and then you tumble turn, mm-hmm. or you tumble turn learning with holding the kickboard and you don't let go. So straight away I started learning holding with the kickboard and not letting go, mm-hmm. and that's how I I turn. I never let never swim with the kickboard. I never take not a single arm stroke. It just flips around with the kickboard, and uh, that's what I've done ever since I've started kicking on a board look at you go four from four so far let's see if you can finish with the five <laughs> what about never knowing what's coming up in the set because you weren't really paying attention um what never knowing so 
sometimes I do make mistakes in the session. People will cap me in towards that as well. <laughs> <laughs> I think it comes towards the, uh, uh, I can't see the board as well because I wear glasses. Yeah. But, <laughs> but um, I think sometimes I just, I will lose a bit of concentration sometimes, but I try not to. But uh, I always like, I, the one thing I always like doing is leading in the lane. Yeah. And uh, if, and sometimes if I make a mistake, it, it shows because I've just led, <laughs> but it's never, um, I never do it intentionally. I just yeah. forget sometimes. <laughs> oh, mate, I tell you as a coach, there's nothing worse. You've just explained the set five <laughs> times. All right, here we go on the top. And then you hear, and they never say it out loud, right? You never say that swimmers never say it to the coach, but I can hear, you know, quietly, wait, what are we doing? Oh, no, nothing infuriates a coach more. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, mate, at one stage in your career, you know, you were trying to make uh, your first national team, um, the junior Pampax, as we talked about before. What were a few of the things that um, you had to change or you had to do before, you know, all of that started to click for you? Um, I think when I was younger, you know, say when I had to try and make that nationals, I think for many years it was – I just never. I was. I would train very fast, and I would go very fast times in uh, in training, and I think it got to. It just never clicked when it came to competition, and uh, I think after trying and trying and trying, it, it, I had to try and figure out how to get into the right mindset or what um, what ways I go around warming up or uh, mental heads based. So trying to figure out how to optimally perform at those sort of meets and uh, it, even now I'm still learning with it and uh, I think it's something that you you never like not learn mm. uh, but it, it did take some time to actually get used to uh, racing and and now I, I would do find myself a very competitive person <laughs> yeah Mate, 2014, you make your first senior Aussie team and you go to the uh, the world champs, the short course world champs in Doha. Uh, what do you remember most about that first, that sort of your first big senior trip? Yeah, uh, that was, uh, it was, it was tough because it was my first, uh, yeah, again, my first senior trip and it's, everything's different. You get sort of, uh, I think world short courses are very good teams to make for your first team because yeah. it's a smaller team. You kind of, you get to know you know, I think there's only a team of about 20 people. Usual world champ teams and Olympic teams are up in the, the 40 to uh, 45 range. Yeah. So it's it's a lot more people, a lot more closer. You get to know everyone a bit better, but it's still a, it is quite a daunting thing. But you have peers around you that have been on uh, multiple teams, and you just kind of learn from them. You learn how they go around things. You, you then you sort of make up your, mo your own sort of way how you go around these kind of competitions. Uh, World Short Course in Doha was incredible because, you know, we stayed in a five-star crazy hotel that yeah. looks like a torch and has lights on the outside <laughs> of it. And, you know, it was an incredible place. And it's, it, I really did enjoy it. And I, after that competition, it was. I decided in my mind that I was uh, not going to miss a senior competition. After that, I had to maintain making every team, and that's what I set a goal on. And uh, so far, I'm achieving that. That's right, you kill. As I said before, I think you know since you made it, 2014. I think each year you've been there. So, uh, mate, the 200 fly. For those like me who watch you guys do it uh, at the elite level and marvel at the toughness and the speed. 
talk to us about you know what your race plans like for this event. How do you and your coach go about breaking it down? Um, well, really, there's a million different ways of racing it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but for me, it's uh, it's really swimming the Tuffy in the beginning part of the race as easy as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that makes sense. You know, if you if you end up using your your legs for the whole first 150 meters, you will not have your legs in the last 25. Yep. And um, you know, for me personally, I, I I feel like I have a good underwater and my turns are fast and and my skills I've worked on for ever and uh so i use them as a as a, a weapon that that you can but as a building weapon so i can't just say max the first 50 is i will not be able to finish it in the yeah, race and yeah. so it is it is very i, I do love the two five because it is a very it's a challenging race mm. but it is very uh tactical in a way and uh you know, once you get it right uh it's it's a really fun race, but if you get it wrong, it's a brutal one. <laughs> so, what are a few of the common? Obviously, you you would have made a few mistakes in in your time just trying to get it right. What are a few of the uh, errors that you make when you when you were racing it younger? Yeah, I mean, I think for my one mainly is what I had to work on is is trying to keep that uh, my stroke nice and relaxed, uh, especially when it comes to the last fifty. Uh, you tend to break out on the last turn and just go for it and you end up tightening up and your rate increases really high and then you start slipping and then you start fatiguing. So it's, it's really, for me, what I've really tried to learn on for the past number of years and on the fly is to just build everything better. You know, it's yeah. trying to keep things smooth and relaxed. You know, when you look at Michael Phelps and even Christoph Malik now, who's got the world record, it's, mm. they are very, they swim the fly very relaxed. It's their shoulders are very low to the water they float over, they have a good, strong, upbeat on the kick. and But it's not expelling enough, it's not expelling too much energy to uh, in the race that you will lose it, that energy that you have used in the beginning of the race yeah. and you lose it at the end. So it's trying to maintain it for the whole race. So it's there at the end when you want to push the button. It, yes, indeed. <laughs> Mate, 2016, you qualify for your first Olympics, the Rio Olympics, and it's a massive moment for you and, and your family, given your mum's history in the sport. Firstly, talk to us about the moment of qualifying and knowing you were going to compete on the on the biggest stage our sport has to offer. Uh, it was it was very weird, actually. <laughs> so so we're, we're, I, can, I can tell you a story. With, when we went to Adelaide, the only people, the only person that went with me was my mum. And uh, my all other family stayed at home and... Uh, my the reason why I have that is because my mum, you know, she she knows what I'm doing. Yeah. But also, we when I finish the competition or finish racing, sorry, at certain days, that uh, she stays away from what I actually uh, for what I race. She doesn't actually know in a way. Yeah. <laughs> because when I finish the race, what I want to do is you know, not think about it. It's yeah. it's kind of go back to normal and uh, think about other things. And uh, so it really does distract your mind from what doing so and when it came to the two and five final my mum had no idea that i was actually racing the final <laughs> so i just turned up and went to the pool and i raced and of course yes i was uh super stoked i qualified and uh and then went then <laughs> i usually i would tell my mum and say okay i'm uh finishing at this time can you please pick me up at say uh at say 
eight thirty uh, in the at night, yeah. and so she arrived, you know, probably at quarter past eight, waiting for me. And of course, I'm too. I've just qualified for the Olympics, <laughs> and uh, and I'm doing all that I need to do with my presentation and warming down and talking to people and living it up for a bit. <laughs> and I, I think it, it came to around about nine thirty, and my mum's just <laughs> sitting in the <laughs> sitting in the car waiting for me. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and then I phoned her. I said, oh, "I'm coming out now." Walked over, and um, and you know, she was just sitting in the car. And I went over, and she said, "Where have you been?" <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "Well, uh, I, I showed her the medal. And I said, oh, look at this.'" And she said, "Oh, it's a, it's a medal." And I said, "Yeah, it's a gold medal." And she goes, "Oh, okay." And I said, "I've just qualified for the Olympics." And uh, yeah, and she just you know burst into tears, <laughs> and we had a little moment in the car then. But it was uh, it was that she did it. She didn't. She felt like I don't know what she knew. I was racing, uh, to, of course, to qualify for the Olympics. But in her head, she thought, I, I, "Is this going to happen?" Mm. And uh, she just didn't think maybe I. What happened if I didn't qualify? What? And um, and of course, I qualified, and it was just. A very special moment and uh and then of course then i phoned my family and all the rest of them were back in the gold coast and they were hysterical and laughing and crying and cheering and stuff and yeah so it was a very happy very pleasing moment awesome sounds like an awesome moment i got goosebumps mate just listening to it <laughs> um secondly you uh you went on to win a bronze medal with the boys over there in the four by 100 meter uh, relay the individual medley relay and it must have been a pretty big buzz for you getting olympic medal over there oh it's an incredible feeling i i, I can't i can't put it into um words really because um it was i think the fact i was lucky enough to get in the in the rear in the final and when you've got a crowd that's uh i think it was fourteen thousand people and it's it was just when you're walking out and they called out your country they had um there was a Brazilian team in the final as well. It was Michael Phelps' last ever race. It was there was a lot of things happening along this relay, and uh, and we were going out. And then also, it was, it was I'm there with three other three other boys that we're all just trying to do the best we can, and yeah. we're doing it for our country. <laughs> and when you put it in like that, you think, wow, you know, this doesn't happen often. Right. And um, and you know, I'm standing on the block watching Jake Packard coming in. And, you know, I look, I don't look, but I hear to my right. <laughs> and the lane next to me is Michael Phelps and he's mm. doing his arm slaps and stuff. And I'm like, I'm like, and I'm hearing the crowd and I'm just like, this is, this is a, a moment that I'll never forget. Absolutely. And, um, and also I'm trying to concentrate on not to full start cause I got Jake Packard coming <laughs> in. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, and it was just the, the, the incredible fear. And then to, to, when we had, Carl Chalmers on the last leg during the freestyle for him to have that that epic back fifth that last fifty was incredible and mm. for us to touch third was you know I I didn't I didn't think it would happen the way it did is to go from my first ever Olympics to then getting a, a medal at the Olympics and yeah it was just very very surprising. Now I think doing my research I think you saw fifty one one which was the second yes. fastest split 
of the of the the whole uh, final and only just behind obviously the goat uh yeah. <laughs> so i mean you know yeah Kyle did a, a great job in in his anchor leg but i mean you know if you if you'd got any slower it would might have been made his job a lot harder so you must be pretty proud of of your part in that relay oh uh, yeah i mean like not to say, like i think it's it's the relay is for four boys or four girls and and uh you know those you know, if you can't do a relay with three people, it's all four of them that have to work together. And yeah, I, I was super stoked with the time I got in that, and that was a it's the fastest second fastest time in that race. And I think um, that was also another pleasing thing that I managed to swim that fast with the amount of um, pressure and and excitement that's going on. And uh, so it, it was we all swam very well, and I you know, we and that's why we came away with the medal we did. What was it like? going in and, and knowing you're trying to chase the goat? Uh, I think it, it's just another swimmer. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's where you get it. But I guess he's an incredible athlete <laughs> yeah. and he's, he's got multiple gold medals. And, um, but he is just another human, another swimmer. And just like I am another human, another swimmer, we all, we are, we all work, have to work incredibly hard. And I think it was, it was, I was awesome for me to go and race him. You know, he, he was a, also another um, another athlete that I really did look up to, and um, I think it was. But I, just, you know, I'm in a competition. I want to beat him, nonetheless, <laughs> and he wants to beat everyone else in the race as well. So it, I think uh, it's that sort of. Um, it's a. It's great racing against him, but of course, I know I want to beat him. <laughs> Absolutely, I think it's very well put, mate. Um, we fast forward now to 2018, and uh, we have a home Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast for you, so very much home uh, where you're training there. What was that competition like? You know, competing in front of your family and friends. Yeah, that was uh, that was very uh, incredible. That was, I think, um, you know. I, Having it doesn't ha it doesn't happen really in some in very few uh, athletes' careers that they actually get to have a home games of either whether it be Olympics or Commonwealth or even World Champs. It, it just doesn't happen often. Yeah. And um, I think when it when it happened, it was uh, and for me to be able to walk away with a you know a gold medal in the relay and a, t a silver and tuna fly was. Uh, amazing and and that time i did actually have my family sitting in the grandstand and uh not that i was aware of <laughs> it anyway because i didn't didn't i didn't really think about it but um but it just i mean the atmosphere and how well it ran and you know it was for all the people i've spoken to they said you know the commonwealth games and gold coast was the best run commonwealth games they've ever been to mm. and um and it was just everything just worked out right and it was awesome. <laughs> hey, Silver and the 200 fly, and just as we're talking about this, I, I do distinctly remember watching that on TV and you ripping the last uh, underwater and, and, you know, bringing it out and obviously chasing them down the end and, and getting the silver. How do you look back on that swim? I, it, it, was a, it was a very good swim. You know, it wasn't on my best time. It was just off. But, I mean, when it comes to sort of those sort of competition, it's all about racing. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, I knew I was next to Chad Duclos, and I knew that he would go out very fast. Um, but I equally knew that I was also fit enough to try and hold on to him. And uh, so I just sort of just I didn't go out as fast as him because he's a lot faster than me at going out. But 
I thought, you know, if I want to have a shot of getting a medal here, I'm going to have to uh, dig very, really deep. And he went out for it. So I thought, well, I'm going to go out with you. <laughs> and uh, it, that hurt a lot in the last 25 meters. But, you know, when you're, when you're hurting as much as you are in the last 25, it all turns into just being, you know, how much you want it. Yeah. And I wanted it. <laughs> Man, I bet it hurts. Well, how, how, <laughs> how much does it hurt? Obviously, turn it flying. We've talked about how difficult that is anyway. But, you know, that underwater work on your last turn, that must be... <laughs> like extremely difficult at the back end of that 200 fly it is but it all comes down to um training you know i've i've worked very hard on my underwater for uh my whole career and and my turns and my skills and if you if you work hard on it and uh you then replicate it what happens in a competition Mm. and uh you know that's why i feel like i've been able to do what i can on the last turn of a 200 flies because i've worked hard on it and uh yeah i did <laughs> no you definitely did i remember just i remember being very impressed i was just i, I don't think i've seen anyone do that in a very long time um, oh thank you, <laughs> you know, so much uh, mate is made these days of pre-race routines and getting yourself in the right headspace before a race you know the right arousal levels and what do you like before a race are you cool calm and collected are you pumped up and and sort of ready to explode uh i i Usually I'm excited. I get probably get more annoying to other people, <laughs> but um, but I like to be. Uh, I do like to be calm and you know have a joke with people, have a laugh, and uh, I think uh, when it's when it's big competitions, yes, the nerves are there, and uh, but uh, your know, excitement is there really, and I think you just put it into um, you just got to put everything into you know perspective. It's mm. you know it's just the competition. It's not the end of the world, and you just you just do as best as you can and uh as long as you live by that then uh then in the end it works out i mean one thing i've always uh learned and known from you if it's a competition that you if you don't find you getting nervous at a competition then it doesn't doesn't mean enough to you absolutely and and of course i definitely get nervous before competitions but yeah i I love it i think it 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 makes you feel uh alive (laughs) Are you superstitious? Do you have any sort of pre-race rituals, things you have to do? Um, I mean, of course, I, like, I do the same sort of routine that I do behind the block. Uh, I think everyone really has that. Yeah. Uh, but I try not to have any sort of superstitious things that, you know, if I, do, if I don't do this, then, it, then I won't sumo because I think that's very risky yeah. uh, because who knows what gets thrown out. You could spit a suit and you could rip your goggles or yeah. all that sort of stuff. And and if that breaks up your routine and in your head you're just like uh i can't i can't sort of uh race now because this has happened then yeah. uh then you're not going to go anywhere you know uh, sometimes i've heard someone saying oh, i haven't got my favorite suit on so i'm not going to swim very well you know that's a very risky strategy to do it's you've got to be adaptable and um change to any situation that comes at you well absolutely and i I was talking to uh, Karina Lee lo- not long ago um, and, and she was saying that she used to have quite a few different things and what would happen would be, you know, say, for example, she used to watch a, a movie and always this same movie um, and while she was doing well, it was fine. But then, you know, if she had a bad meet, okay, well, that movie's gone now and, okay, now she's going to move on to her next, <laughs> you know, her next ritual and while that lasts and, uh, again, probably along the same lines as you, you know, in the end she worked out, well, hang on, probably it's not such a great idea because it yeah. just doesn't always work out in my favour. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. It's, 
you gotta you gotta you gotta make sure you have you have your sort of like pre-race warm-ups and your, your dry down warm-ups you do and sort of stuff like that and you could say yes that's a routine and that's a sort of a superstition but i think it's when you think things like yes like watching a movie you have to watch the same movie or yeah. do the same uh you know exercises or anything like that then it, it can just be uh you end up putting too much time into doing those sort of exercises and not actually thinking about racing <laughs> absolutely mate what about your favorite do you have a, a pre-race playlist do you have music that you listen to before you race I'm not. Really, I don't really listen to much music when I'm, I'm at the pool at home. Yes, I can listen to say some something relaxing or uh, a bit like Australian sort of music and that sort of stuff. But um, I don't tend to have any sort of music I listen to uh, at the pool. I like to be a bit more uh, uh, communicative, communicative around people, and um, and I think you know have a laugh with other people. I think that sort of just tends to relax you more for me personally. But of course, everyone's different. <laughs> Hey, talk to me about your coach, Chris Desmet. He, um, but people, <laughs> sorry, lost my train of thought. What is he <laughs> like as a coach, and um, and what might people not know about Chris? Uh, so Chris is a very, um, a very, very good coach. <laughs> He's a very tough coach, uh, but he, uh, you know, he was uh, part of the the Navy, I think it was, or Royal, uh, Royal Marines, or it was part of the something like that in. Even he used to be his, when he was uh, his younger days, <laughs> but uh, he is um, very, very, very good coach. He's he's very organised, and uh, that's why I, you know, I've been a bit in now for coming up to ten years, ten, eleven years, and you know he he's definitely shaped me into the person I am now, and he yeah puts puts me under pressure, and and he will definitely tell me if I've done something wrong, and uh, but it's all in the right interest of. Uh, succeeding in not just swimming but also in life you know he, he's definitely uh helped me in you know my life outside of swimming and also had to look like to look after yourself and and you know i i definitely do owe a lot of my career to chris because uh of course if you don't have a coach then it makes it very very difficult to get to a level that you want to Hey, what do you get up to away from the pool? Um, I, I know you're heavily into lo- surf lifesaving. What else do you get up to? Yeah, I mean, I do. I do a lot outside the pool. I, I try to keep as busy as possible. Like, um, I yes, surf lifesaving is I. I'm very heavily involved into it. Uh, I've been a member of Southport Surf Lifesaving Club now for, well, eight years, maybe or maybe a bit longer. Um, and I patrol on the beaches every single weekend or whenever I can I'm down there um, I'm now a, a clubhouse officer of the actual club so it's, I'm now a member of the committee so it it's it, it, um, it, it's something I've done and I, have, and I really enjoy doing it I think it's something that uh, you know when I'm down the beach it's it's my away time from the pool and I think it's important to have that because you, know, you can't you know you know your whole life doesn't revolve around swimming and it and it shouldn't because yeah. uh you know swimming swimming's a sport and you've got to have other other interests outside of there because that keeps you um it keeps your mind uh going and something else to think about yeah what else do you get up to reading books or you know hanging out with mates what else yeah i hang out with mates go to watch movies i, I love playing golf um yeah, i play golf quite a bit as well and uh sort of learning the guitar uh so that, uh, and I help out with um, 
with uh, my sister's partner's company uh, doing business stuff. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I, I do. I, and I think, you know, when you know, swimming, you do put into a lot of time with swimming. You know, it's about, about 36 hours a week that I end up swimming. And um, that's including training in the pool and dry land and all the stuff around it. And uh, I think really try and um, fill your day in as sort of much as possible. Whether you've got to, whether you're trying to have maybe have a nap during the day or try and do other things that revolve around not thinking about swimming, which is why my weekends I find very important to do other things. Yeah. How good is a nap during the day? That's my favorite thing. <laughs> yes, it is very nice. <laughs> yeah. I think, but it's also, it's sometimes if you don't have it there, you, uh, it, it does make it sometimes more harder in the afternoon but you just it makes it harder but you just got to try and overcome that yeah that's that's where the coffee helps me that's where, that's where the coffee kicks in <laughs> mate you've Definitely. been on a few aussie teams now and i just want to find out a little bit more about the uh the aussie team for our listeners out there so in your opinion i'm going to start a sentence and i want you to finish it with the name <laughs> of the swimmer all right on the team that you think this best suits so we'll start off with funniest person on the Australian team is. Uh, funniest person Australian team is Clyde Lewis. Clyde Lewis. Right, write that down. Is he just <laughs> good with his one-liners or just funny in general, witty? Uh, witty, yeah, and he does have his one-liners, but uh, I think he just, he's, uh, he just has a very, very good uh, sense of humour. Mate, what about the biggest pest on the team? Probably me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you see, I, I was waiting for you to say Thomas Fraser Holmes because I, I, I did let you know that uh, Tom <laughs> yeah. put your name in for this the other day, but you, you're too kind. You're too kind. Yeah, I think I think as long as I know that, that he's, you know, he is correct. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, what about leaders on the team? Who, who are the the leaders amongst the team? Yeah, I mean, I'd like definitely the yeah you know, the strong leaders in the team. We have we have the athlete leadership program, and uh, you know there's uh, Campbell sisters and Mitch Larkin and uh, a few others, and you know they are you know they've been around now for a considerable amount of time in the teams, and you know they've been through a lot, and I think they are very good people to um, look up to in a way because what what we what they go through, what they've been through for so many years, and. You know, I feel like I know I've done a lot, a lot of uh, years of it, and but it's definitely when you're a first person, like when you're a young person making the first Australian senior team, it can be very daunting. But I think if you um, really do open up and you get to communicate with a lot of the uh, older athletes, it does make the team a lot easier. I mean, what about you know you've been on a few of these um, trips away and stuff like that, and I'm sure on the Gold Coast at the end of the Com Games, you you guys all got together and had a bit of a had a bit of a party. Talk to me about the best singer or dancer on the team. Uh, that would have to be also Clive Lewis. <laughs> he, he, he can dance. He's, he's very good at doing the floss. I have heard he can cut a rug. A few times people have said Clyde, so we'll, we'll have to try and get some footage of Clyde. <laughs> yeah, yeah he's definitely, he, would def he would do it if you asked him to as well. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what about um, person who gives the best advice? Um, I think that's 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 very much everyone really because I think uh, you know everyone has their own way of how they've gone, so it's very hard to pick one person. I think when it comes to that because yeah. um, everyone has 
had their different experiences through the team and uh, through different competitions, whether it be anything. You know, people have made different levels of competitions. You've got, uh, you've got Mac and Carl Chalmers, who are the current Olympic gold medalists. You know, that's the highest that, they've, that you can reach in swimming. And, um, you know, so the advice from them is very, like, you can get advice from them. And I think, it, but then you also got someone who uh, has made, so many Australian teams and um, just just gone there to race, say, relays or something. And, you know, they're very, very good relay swimmers. So there are so many people that you can get advice from. And I think it's just not being worried to go up to anyone and say, oh, you know, what's, what do you do during this time? Or what do you do? That, you know, what do you eat? What do you eat? I think because everyone has their own different um, ideas how they go around about uh, competitions. and. Yeah. And there's no one correct answer. There's multiple. <laughs> Absolutely. Mate, I think we'll wrap it up there. Thank you um, very much for coming on, mate, and agreeing to come on for a chat. I appreciate you taking the time out and share some of your stories. And good luck over the next few months in isolation and staying motivated and ultimately getting back in the pool and securing your spot for the 2021 Olympics in Tokyo. Oh, yeah, oh, definitely. I think, you know, it's it's a year away and... Um, there is still plenty of time to, to get back into some normality. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, mate, hopefully we get to have another chat to you sometime down the track. And till then, thank you very much for coming on Off the Block Swimming Podcast. Oh, thank you very much. I have very much enjoyed it and uh, definitely look forward to coming back on it again, maybe uh, sometime in the future. <laughs> Absolutely, mate. We might do some predictions for 2021. We'll get you on later in the year. Yeah, definitely. That sounds good. Cheers, mate. Have a good day. You too. Thank you. Today's episode with David Morgan is proudly powered by Pro Swim Workouts. For more information on programs and insights, please head to the website at proswimworkouts.com. Our next episode drops next Tuesday, the 5th of May, and features one of West Australia's biggest stars in the pool, who was also a part of the world record-breaking women's 4x200-meter freestyle relay last year in South Korea. And of course, I'm talking about Miss Brianna Throssell. So excited to have our stars from the West being starred on Off the Blocks, and I cannot wait for all of you guys to hear it next week. So until then, please make sure you visit the website at milkandco.com.au and enter the promo code CLIMBLOCKS for your 50% discount of all Michael Klim products. He has great skincare range. Make sure you do that, please. Also, make sure you're spreading the good word about our podcast and invite more and more people to come and join in on the fun. Until then, though, it's bye for now.